What's up, guys? It is Coach Callie V, and this is the Callie V Podcast with a little coordinated coaching today. I have a special guest speaker, Miss Tania Tucker, who I call Coach T. Yes, she is a softball coach, and we have known each other for a very long time. Like, I'm going to go on a limb here and say at least 15 years or more, <laughs> but met really early in my ultrasound career when I was a traveling tech. We met in Winslow, Arizona, and that's kind of where it started, and then we went full circle. My husband and I moved to Flagstaff, and then both of our daughters ended up playing on the same softball team, and Coach T came in as a coach, and I don't know that Coach T was really ready to do it, but I think she trusted me and trusted Coach Justin and kept her why at the forefront and she was coaching for all the right reasons. And I think that's ultimately why she's continued to coach and she's continued to bounce back. And that's gonna be the grit to this episode today. It's not just Callie V bringing you another coach Yes, I'm bringing you another coach, but I'm bringing you a person in my life that has literally stood and looked at death square on in the face. And she is going to share some vulnerable moments in her life where I just don't know that other people would have came back to, like to live a life. And um, feel free, T, if you want to, you know, talk about childhood up to a certain point, or if you want to skip all that and just come with that first point of adversity in your life where you were truly challenged with, do I want to live anymore? Like, how do I even get through this? So take it away. So yeah, I know we'll go back a little bit just because it kind of goes with, you know, um, bouncing back. Um, so I grew up the oldest of 10, there's me, and uh, I have eight brothers and one sister. And so I grew up in a household with a dad who worked, mom who stayed at home but also you know had addictions um had a lot of things going on with her she's 16 when she had me you know and so we never had the greatest relationship in our life never um still don't but we tolerate each other much better now you know and and that's okay i i've come to find out it's okay you know you love the people who love you and that's how it goes and so yeah, growing up, the oldest of 10 kids, um, I had a lot of responsibility, lots and lots of responsibilities. And I found out um, in softball that you can let go of some of those responsibilities that you have at home. Preach. <laughs> you know, like, and it was fun and it was like uh, a family, but I didn't have to always take care of them. Sometimes they took care of me. You know, and my dad was amazing. And I want to say like, you know, he worked, um, he took care of us my whole life. He worked really hard. He worked for the railroad, he worked really hard, but he was not home very much. So, you know, um, but I found in a team that you work together to make something great, you know? And so I had continued, I played since I was eight. I started when I was eight, when I first played. Um, I don't know that I was ever a great player, but I loved the game. You know, I really loved the game. Um, and so I continued on throughout high school, played varsity softball. Um, didn't get to the college round, decided to have a baby. <laughs> so my oldest daughter is 22 years old. 
Um, and she has a little grandbaby. She has a grandbaby for me. I love her to <laughs> death already. Um, and, you know, started in there. That's where I started. Started my life. Started being a mom. And just being a mom at that point. Yeah. Um, kind of lost myself in there, too. You know, Are I you... Just, you married your high school sweetheart, right? Like I did, I did, yes. So yeah, Dustin and I, Dustin is his name. We started dating when we were twelve, actually. That's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, we started dating when we were twelve. Um, you know, broke up, got back together, you know, little junior high, high school stuff. Mm -hmm. And then after high school, came back together, had our daughter, you know, and had another daughter and then decided to get married. So all right. We, <laughs> we've been married 18 years. We just okay. celebrated our 18th anniversary, but we've been together 29. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I've as long as I've known you, like that still shocks me because just looking at you, I'm like, there's no way you've been with Dustin for 29 years. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people wonder that too they're like how I'm like we were 12 we were 12 you know that's funny I love it so so you have two girls you guys get married and then what's next literally being a mom like I started working at the hospital right about when I had um my daughter who's now 18 um I started working at the hospital and you know just doing that but I literally was just a mom like yeah. I did not even have any at that point you know what I mean like I was a mom do you think I, do you think that how you're you're very passionate about saying I literally was just a mom do you think that stems from your mom not being available like you needed her to be was that was there a lot of push internally that you didn't even realize you had until like now like wow oh I was okay with just being a mom. And there's a lot of moms that are not okay with that. Right. No, and yeah, no, like exactly. Um, I think that was one of the things both us and I didn't really have moms in our lives. So it was really big deal for me to be present and be a mom and raise my kids. You know, yes, I worked, I did work um, and had babysitting and stuff like that. But being there, not missing first steps, not missing, you know, all those milestones. It was really important because I, there's not even really like baby pictures of me. There's not like childhood pictures of me. There's very few and rare, you know, just because, you know, my mom didn't show up like that. That's not how she showed up. And, you know, so I think that is why, like, I just dove so hard into like, Whoever I was, whoever I thought I was, you know, and then just became mom. I like that. That's cool though. And and the thing, I like how you mentioned like you and your mom tolerate each other, but you had said you love who loves you. And I beg to differ with that because if you and your mom truly tolerated each other, that means one of you doesn't really love the other. And I think that you and your mom do love each other and your mom just shows it differently and it doesn't make your way better than her way or vice versa. I think that's the beauty. And, you know, us at this age in our life, we're both, you know, you and I talk about, like I've shared with you my real dad situation and 
we just get to this place where like, it is what it is. And I, I'm going to love them, like, regardless, like, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for, I mean, maybe she didn't take the pictures, but she put a roof over your head. Your dad right. did all the work, but your mom still made sure that you were in the house when it was raining and snowing. And, you know, so I think for you, I think you, I, I think you're starting to realize that your mom did the best she knew with what she knew how to do. No, and I agree. With and that. I think you figured that out just because we're going to get to all your, your tough parts, but it's kind of weird. Like looking back and you see your parent act a certain way. And then you go through these moments and you're like, oh my gosh, mm. it almost gives you an example of if I do this, then I'm going to be like that. Mm -hmm. And I know I can do better because they've shown me what not to do. Mm -hmm. And not to put him down, but like, I always feel like we should always be in a mode of learning, oh. you know? So not at all. Like, I don't want to, you know, we just had a strain, you know, there was always a strain. Like we grew up more like sisters, fighting sisters, so obviously because of the age and there was just a strain. And yeah, I did. Like once I had my girls, it took a little while to come to terms with, there's no handbook. No. You know, you can read all the parenting books in the world, but there's really no handbook on how you're going to raise a kid. I got four girls, you know, and they all are raised differently. Like they're not, I can't parent each one exactly like I parent right. the other. And so, and, you know, I was 19 when I had my first daughter, scared, like so scared beyond belief. And then I look back at it in 16, like at 16, what would have I done at 16? Right. Don't know, you know, so there's a strain, but yeah, oh, I do. I love her. Um, but, you know, I show up. You show up differently. You show up, you're yeah. more educated. I think our parents did the best they knew how to do. And a lot of them just repeated what was done unto them. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to realize that with my real dad, like, I still don't have a relationship with him now, but I'm at a place in my life where I'm like, I have a really great stepdad and, you know, my real dad did the best he knew what to do. And honestly, only God can help him. Like there's nothing I can do. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm just glad because I know you and I in the past have talked about like the strain and the times where you and your mom have like, you, like your mom has really pushed you to certain levels where you were just on the brink and just to hear you, but also watch you talk right now. <laughs> so calm about it. Yeah. I love it. It, it's taken work. Um, and you know, truthfully, um, it's really just lately, like, you know, in the last like two, three years that I've been able to be like, you know, I get to react how I want to react you know right. I don't get to I don't have to allow anyone to create a reaction in me whatsoever in so many different avenues of your life right every Not like anymore. every yes 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 <laughs> yes I love it and I'm not saying I'm perfect because of course sometimes you have that reaction and it's not right you know but that was a choice I made in the end you know so and so that's come and like probably the last three, three, four years, like 
you get to choose to react to whatever situation it is. Yeah, I like that. Good for you. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. But okay, so you have Celia and then mom of three and then out of the blue comes baby. Mm -hmm. So yes, three and then, you know, why not make it four? Why not try? You know, who knows? I don't know. But yes, you know, I get pregnant with Sadie. I'm excited. You know, we're really excited. Possibly have a boy. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice, you know, because we already got three girls. But uh, we, I had issues in my pregnancy, my whole pregnancy, from the minute I got pregnant with her. Um, I had like my spleen decided it didn't want to work. My kidneys wouldn't want to work this week. Or, you know, it was like I was in the hospital probably from about 19 weeks pregnant until the day I had her. And I had her at 29 weeks. And so I was like in and out of the hospital that whole time, not home very much. And yeah, she was born at 29 weeks. Wow. Now this is, I'm just going to put a little trigger warning here. If anybody's listening to this and you have a traumatic birth or a long stay in a hospital or any moments of your life that you still can't really remember because maybe you were in a coma or anything, just to forewarn you, she's going to share this part of her journey. And if you don't want to listen to it, just fast forward to the next one. But sit tight because if you can get through this, this might be a way for you to grab a piece of strength and maybe work through your own trauma of dealing with any of those situations that she's getting ready to share. So. Okay. All right. So. So I, how, how it all started, like the day, the day of, okay. I had a doctor's appointment went to my doctor's appointment um, and was having contractions. She wasn't really moving very much. Um, I had bouts of where I was dehydrated all the time because I couldn't eat, you know, Um, I had the worst morning sickness with her. And so they just sent me over to the hospital. We'll just keep you overnight. Just put IV in you, keep you overnight, get you some fluids, you know, the contractions should stop because we've done that before. You know, and so, okay, go over to OBGYN, get an IV. Um, this is like in the evening. And it's like the time is, I, I bring it up because it's really fast and things changed really fast for me right now. You know, my whole life changed really fast in just a few hours. So I'm um, there, I get an IV put in. It's, I have, I'm not very good. Like my veins aren't very good. They're horrible. And so a lot of times the nurses have trouble getting IVs in. And this nurse, she's having trouble. And finally, like she takes off everything, takes off her gloves and like fills around and finds one, finds a vein, gets an IV in. Um, this is like six, seven in the evening. Then I get this IV in. Um, 
by like eight, eight or nine. I was like, this, my IV's hurting me. It's really hurting me. And because I'm such a hard stick, they never want to change them. It's always a fight, you know? And now like, I know to fight harder for it, you know? She's like, oh, it's flowing good. Everything's flowing. I got fluids running, just fluids running. And um, by midnight, like I'm in like fever, throwing up, severe pain. Um, they're like trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why all of a sudden are you sick? And I was sick. Um, about so I kind of like for the next um, probably two days right there, I'm like in and out of sickness, not feeling very good. But I'm telling them my IV is really hurting. They have not changed it yet. It's still the same IV. Yeah. still the same IV that is like killing me and finally like I literally pulled it out myself I was like I can't do this anymore can't do this anymore um they pulled that out the next when I pulled it out I pulled it out the next morning um and then I had tons of redness in my hand um swollen really swollen uh it was just in my hand probably up to my wrist you know they're just trying to do like warm compress like you know, might have infiltrated, but it's saline. Saline mm. doesn't usually do that much to you, you know. So, and dealing with that, um, Savy's heart rate is dropping. We're having issues with that. I'm still having fever, still getting really sick. And then finally, after two days of me saying my hand is really, really hurting. Like, I mean, I'm crying. My hands in such pain. Swelling is no longer just in my hand. It is up to my elbow. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I was calling it my lobster claw when because <laughs> Dust was coming to see me. Cause like you literally like these fingers couldn't come apart. Um, and it was just like that because it was so swollen and it was up to my elbow. So finally I get another doctor who comes in, looks at it, and she gets the hand doctor right away. Like within hours. Jeez. she gets yeah within hours he's there and it's like in the middle of the night um I don't know that anyone's ever had like met Dr. Durham he's like the most amazing hand doctor in the whole wide world um and he was like we got some work to do and we get IVs going um antibiotics going um and by the next morning not too much better mm. so he calls my husband because I'm like in and out, you know, when you're sick and yeah. you don't know like what's going on. You kind of remember stuff. You kind of don't. There could have been so much more that went on. I don't really know. I'm there. Dust is trying to take care of the other three girls and still work our business and, you know, still do things like that. And so I'm there, but he calls Dust the next morning. And he tells him, I, I need you. And I don't, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I found this out much later. He's told him, I need you to come. I need you to get here, like, right now. Which, we live an hour away from where I was. This was in Flagstaff. So okay. it's an hour drive. But Dust was actually in Holbrook, working. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's more like two hours when you yeah. look at it. And he's like, I need you to get here right away and bring your, bring the other kids. Um, 
I guess when he gets there, he's like, I want it. Cause he's like trying to take me into surgery, mm -hmm. right? Tells him that I need to go to surgery and that he needs to do something with my hand. And he's telling him. And so when he gets there, he's like, I needed you here because I need you to say goodbye. And I need you to, for the girls to say goodbye, just in case. He's like, I'm going to do what I can, but she's really sick, you know? And so is the baby. She's sick too. Jeez. And so, yes, I did not know any of this, none of this. He told him he would do his best to save my arm, some of it. Um, and he would do what he could for my hand, if he could. But he was so were, was he thinking that you were going to pass because the reason you were sick, it was like, was it like poison, like the infection in your bloodstream? Yeah, okay. I was so, septic. Okay. That's so I was already very septic within two days, about okay. two days. Like I had septicemia and so did Saley because of course I'm pregnant with her. So mm -hmm. everything that I get, she gets, you know? Yep. yep. And so, yes, I was super septic. Um, blood pressure was dropping. Her heart rate was dropping. My heart rate was dropping, which I already have a very low heart rate. I tend, I don't tend to run out of the 60s. Like, it just doesn't happen. And so, like, when I went into surgery, I was, like, in the 40s. Jeez. You know, that's super, super low. It's really low. Yeah. And so he's like, we're going to have to deliver the baby because, you know, we need to get her out of there. And then we will work on her hand. And so I don't really remember going into surgery. I kind of remember Savy being born a little bit. Um, not fully. They're like, hey, you got a baby. And then like I, I remember passing out for a little while. And you didn't even have anything to do with her name, right? Didn't Dustin? Yeah, no, Dust named her. Um, she wasn't named for like her birth certificate, you know how you do like the birth certificate and girl. yeah, yes, like all that. Um, that probably didn't happen for at least a week, at least a week. Wow. And um, so dust had come up. Like we didn't have time. We didn't know that we were gonna be born at twenty nine weeks. We didn't. We weren't ready to. You know, we obviously all my girls have S names. They all have the same initials. So uh, like things like that we had talked about, but we had no clue what we were going to name her whatsoever. And then I don't remember how long it really took, but he asked me, what do you think about the name of Saviana? And I was like, yeah, I like that. And it's like, it means like miracle from God. And so I was like, well, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but you made it. So you obviously made it out of surgery. I did. You didn't I did. pass away. Obviously, you're here. Um, the doctor was able to do what he needed to do to save both of you. So that's good. Right. It was. It was great. Yeah. You know. And then it was a hard road. It was a long road. Um. Uh. So yes, I made it out of that surgery. Um. I had 11 more surgeries while I was there. I was mm -hmm. there for six weeks. 
I had 11 more surgeries. Like I went into surgery like almost like every other day or every two days because they had to keep going. So what they did to my hand was a fasciotomy. So basically they put incisions and could kind of see like the oh, scarring. Yeah. So there's, they did 17 incisions in my hand to allow all the like fluid that had built up, all the infection that was in there, everything that was in there just to come out and just get out of me, you know? And yeah. so that's what they did. So they would have to go in every so often, clean out all the dead tissue, you know, so it can start healing. Um, He left it open like some of them were closed with like to, he would close some every time he went in some that were ready to be closed and some of my bigger ones were open up until the last week I remember you sent me a picture of your hand mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that was the bigger one but I just remember like oh my gosh like that was the biggest oh, that was gnarly mm -hmm. that was crazy yeah. That well, like the one underneath was the biggest opening because it's so much thicker. But that one was like the most like you could see tendon. You could see like the different like tissue layers. And you know, yeah. I would see that when they would change my bandaging. So I used to get it changed like twice a day. So yeah, it was. Um I had a hard time looking at that for a long time, but not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. So you're in the hospital for six more weeks. Now we're gonna we're gonna transition and I'm gonna put a little, you know, pause on this too. If you have dealt with addiction or you know of somebody who's dealt with addiction, or maybe you've lost somebody who's dealt with addiction, um, this is a trigger warning too. Um, because she survives, she's living. Her daughter's alive. She's getting better. So her hand is. But as she's in the hospital, there's this really dark place that gets opened up. And it wasn't in any negative intention. It was medical staff doing what they need to do. And kind of the worst case scenario literally took place. On Literally. top of the one she you just came out of, so, so yeah, yeah, um, most definitely, you know, my hand was probably the easiest thing to bounce back from right there, you know, learning how to be a mom with one hand, all that like that was probably the easiest part, you know you might you might think like all the surgeries, all those you know that was easy, that was the easy part, mm -hmm. um the hard part was while well, I was there, of course, you know you have surgery every day um you have multiple incisions you get lots of pain meds tons tons of pain meds and you know i have a high like tolerance for them so like they were like giving me like i was literally on a pain pump where i got pain meds for five weeks straight 24 hours a day wow and you know you there's not there's not much you know like you can become addicted to opioids in 72 hours. Jeez. It only takes 72 hours to be addicted to opioids. So that's like a tooth infection. That's like, you know, small things, minor surgery, 
mm-hmm. you know, um, but I was there for six weeks on payments. And I came home, and, you know, they gave me pain meds to go home with. Mm-hmm. So I came home with that. And then I went to doctors, pain, this, pain, that, you know, it was a lot of pain. Sorry. No, you're good. I got family, but <laughs> um, okay. when it did all that, and then they're like, no, you shouldn't hurt no more. You know, um, so we're going to take you off of this. But did you still hurt or did you think that was the addiction? Um, it, I think it was more the addiction right now. Now, now that I know, mm-hmm. um, it was the addiction. Um, I didn't realize like if you didn't keep a certain level, you were in more pain. So you had to kind of keep a certain level of pain meds in your system. Or else your body was like, hey, I don't like this. I'm going to tell you you're hurting, even if you're not. Wow. Because they work on the dopamine, you know, yeah. dopamine receptors. So yeah. it's like, I'm, gonna t- I'm not saying that my hand doesn't hurt. It still hurt, obviously. Um, but yeah, it didn't need um, 60 milligrams of morphine and 10 percocet a day to make yeah. it feel better. You know, yeah. I didn't need that. It didn't yeah. need that. Um, but yeah, so then here goes Dr. Hopping. Here goes ER visits upon ER visits. Um, here goes figuring out how to be on pain meds when doctors quit giving them to you. Mm. There was a lot of that. <laughs> there was a lot of that. And, you know, um, it's a huge thing. A lot of people are addicted. A lot of people know people are addicted. And so they sell their payments. You know, there's there's yeah. things like that, um, which literally I was part of a lot of it, like, because I was so addicted, like um, not having payments in my system for more than two or three hours, I would go into withdrawals. And for those that don't know what like withdrawals feel like, because it was hard. It was, it was hard. Like my family's like, just stop. Like that's like, just stop. You you can just do it. You know, my family's like, just stop taking it. And if you've never had, if you've never been in a withdrawal, you have no clue what it feels like. It feels like everything is wrong with your body your heart is palpitating, um, you're nauseous, your stomach is messed up, you're sweating, but you're cold, um, your muscles are twitching, your nervous system is going off 24-7, sound hurts, light hurts, you know, and I have baby, I have a baby, you know, um, I have three kids, uh, three other kids on top right. of that, you know, how do I function every day, you know, and the the addiction was like, you know, like I, doctors gave me pain meds for like maybe two years, you know, and then it was just like get off or whatever. And so did they send you to, did you go like, was there a support system that the medical world provided for you to, to get off? Like, 
your family, obviously were telling you just stop, but like, how, how did the doctors that were like not prescribing it to you anymore? What was the next plan of action for you? And that was the biggest thing. There really wasn't. It was okay. like, no, we're just not going to see you anymore. Okay. You know, I know some really places like, are, they have places like step downs. Right. We'll branch you out. And I'm thinking probably the time that you went through this, it really wasn't prevalent. Like they were so used to cutting people off mm -hmm. because now, like, I know when the girls are playing ball together, you had a great doctor that was working with you and talking you through these things, even so many years later. Yeah. So when Callie and I, when I finally told Callie about this, you know, um, addiction, I had already gotten on methadone, which is another opioid. But like, if you really stay in the program and you really work the program, they work with you. You know, mm -hmm. yes, they give you the medicine and yes, it's an opioid, but they start taking you down. They start weaning you down um, or they don't like it's also like it's kind of also like, how do you want to work it? Like, right. There's people who when I was going there and I, I still go there to this day for counseling because even though I've been clean now, um no methadone, no nothing for over a year. Please, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, it, it, that was rough. But I still go to this day for counseling because it's, although I don't, because not only do you have like withdrawals, you have cravings. Like you kind of like, well, I don't feel good. So pain meds make you feel better. Mm -hmm. Or I feel really good and they make you feel even more better. You know, it, it gives you both of those. So yes, I still go for counseling still to this day. And I probably will for quite a while, you know, um, I'm, I'm not going back. So I will work whatever. I'm going to keep moving forward. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I will do whatever I have to do, but I, there's people there that still, and I'm not knocking them. Not at all. This is a rough. This everybody has their own battle. Yeah. Yes. Um. They're but they're still going, and they haven't worked. I realized. So I was going. I was on the methadone. Everything was going good as far as like, I wasn't having cravings. I wasn't having withdrawals. I wasn't like wanting to go take pain meds on the streets, or go to the ER, or do any of that. But um, and I went to Tucson to coach um in tucson uh for state for salia the all-stars and that was i was like i had to have like because you you know it's opioid you don't want kids to get into it so it was always in a locked box for me and so i had to have my locked box i had to take it with me and i had to have it in my room and there were i also had girls in my room with me and so I would like take my medication when they weren't in there or they weren't looking. And I was like, what kind of coach am I really showing up as still on opiates, mm. still on pain meds? Like they're not, but they are, they work the same. So they are. 
And so I had decided there that when I went back to get my next dose that I was going to start tapering. And so you work in the program. When you work in the program, you can start getting privileges. You, instead of going every day, because at first you go every day, you go get your medicine every day so that they know that you you get drug not getting off the street. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so um, by the time I had got there, my privilege was up to, I only went once a month. So I would get all my medication for a month. And so when I went back, I was like, I'm ready to start tapering. And they're like, oh, so you're going to taper every month. And I was like, no, I want to put myself back to once a week. And we're going to start tapering every week. And so they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yes. And so we started with just a few milligrams down. So you wouldn't pull a big step down. So you wouldn't, you know, go back. And there was a time in my tapering that got hard. It did. Um, there was some withdrawals. Like it wouldn't keep you the whole day. So you, mm. I would have withdrawals um, at the night or, you know, different times of the day I would have withdrawals. And so right about when we met, it was right about, right after that is when it Second started. Time, mm -hmm. Like softball? Yeah, like, oh, like, yeah, like coaching together. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. We started coaching together. Um, I was right about at that limit. And, you know, so I was having those, but I was around different kinds of people also. You know, I, I had lost my job at the hospital due to my addiction, literally. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when it opened up, like a lot opened up for me. I was able to be at home. Um, I started working in the business because we've had a business, but I didn't always work the business. I used to work at the hospital. My husband worked the business. And that's when we started being able to um, do softball more full-time. They sell tortillas. <laughs> yes. They Basically, yes. Yeah. I love it. Tortillas are good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. But yeah, no, you, you were around different people. I mean, it's funny, like when you pray for change, like it's such a bold prayer because when you think of, okay, I just prayed for change, but don't take my job away. Don't, you know, don't take all these things away. And I don't know if you prayed for change or the conversation that you have with God, but he definitely took you out of the lion's den. Yeah because you were tempted every day. And because of that temptation, that craving probably hits you 10 times worse. And like you just said, all of a sudden your schedule opened up and you were able to be more involved mm -hmm. and be around different people. Definitely. Yes. It was not easy to work in an ER. Mm -mm. Um, that was one of, one of the ways I, I, the doctors knew me. So they were pretty good to me, you know? So like, you know, that was one of the things. And so all of a sudden I've lost my job. I've lost my benefits. Um, I've always worked, always. I've always had my own job, made my own money, you know, kind of dealt and all of a sudden nothing, right? Um, and now, you know, definitely when you have, when you're in a marriage, 
you should work together, you know, but we've always kept our money separately until then and things like that. And so like, I basically kind of like thought nothing, like I had nothing at that point, but I didn't, I literally didn't. Like I realized that God put me in that position so that I can get around other people. So I could get around other minds, so I could get around other, you know, ways to look at things, you know, and I don't know, I have, I've always believed in God, um, but I didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up in, you know, knowing how to pray or doing those things, but I've always had a belief, and then all of a sudden, I'm around some great people, Hmm. and we're like together a lot you know between practice and tournaments tournaments (laughs) yeah you know we're together a lot and we become part of each other's family you know and still watching them grow and watching all these girls grow grow and yeah wasn't Savie's first sleepover at our house yes yep yes so yeah there are a lot of good things that came out of that not just for you and I's relationship, but like for your daughter, your youngest one, like mm-hmm. she was given a chance, given an opportunity. And now, I mean, the the little girl's balling it up. So she's catching now. She is a catcher. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I see the post. I'm like, oh, this girl. <laughs> she thought she wanted to be a pitcher. I think it was because of Marley. Yeah. You know, mostly. Um, then her sister was third baseman, so she thought she wanted to be a third baseman. Um, but all of a sudden, like, I needed a catcher. And I was like, I know I could push my kid. Right. To you, you know, a little bit more and put her out there. And catching is what she does. I love I it. I believe it. But yeah. That is her position. (laughs) That's awesome. So you stood, you looked death in the face. You said, nope, ain't happening. Death still tried to have a hold on you. And you still chose life. Um, I have to commend you on that because I think a big part of you choosing life was, and I don't know if it's just me, like, but you opened up to me. I think you did more so more than you would with anyone else. Cause I know you were really worried about what people were going to think and say, and I made it very clear to you, like it stops with me. Like the fact yeah. that you're telling me that's huge, you know? And I know you had days where you struggled and I would just, I never really, it never really dawned on me to look at it through the lens of you going through a DT or anything like that. It was just like, it'll get better. Like, just keep moving forward. And I feel like if I would have been like, oh my gosh, you're going through DTs, you would have been like, oh, poor me as well. And (laughs) because I just, I just didn't, it was the timing of meeting you, the timing of you being vulnerable with me. It allowed me to speak into you versus at you. Does that right. make sense? No, that totally makes sense. Um, I have found that I am drawn to people who are just super truthful with me. 
Um, even though sometimes I act like I got feelings and I'm like all crybaby, which I am very crybaby. <laughs> Kelly knows I am very. You said I act like I have feelings. <laughs> yes, you're a crybaby. You're a big gentle giant. She's so tall compared to me because everybody's taller than me. But like, if you were to look at a picture with Tania next to me, I'm very very short. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's another thing is um, little people, like they must like, like now, like even now that I've transitioned into like a new business and, and a new place, like my, my business partner is literally 4'11". <laughs> Because you got to be bold. You got to see if you move. You have to move really fast and jump really high. <laughs> and she's like super stern with me. Like I couldn't find a better business partner, you know, like to have. But like she's super stern, super honest and speaks to me from where she sees, where she knows that I am going, where she knows that like I already am rather than like where I feel like I am that day. Yeah, well, like you're there. Like... I remember the same conversations, like, you're a great coach. And you'd be like, no, I'm not. And I'd be like, yeah, you are. Like, stop, get out of your own way. Like, you're doing great things. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here, you know? So yeah, I, I want to talk about, because I feel like for people that are married, when one person is really struggling with things and the other one's just trying to keep the family afloat, like, I know that put a lot of stress on you and Dustin. And, here you were trying, you were around new people, uplifting people, people that were speaking into you versus at you. Um, and I know that put, there was there was a, a catch in between you guys and, you know, divorce did come up a couple times. And I just looking back in the last three years, cause I feel like both of our lives, like my life changed, you, you had a front row seat to that. And then your life changed. And there was almost like this mechanism of Okay, I'm going to keep moving forward. You're going to keep moving forward. If you're going to keep moving forward, I'm going to keep moving forward. And like for a good year and a half, you and I completely like every day we checked in with each other. We just kind of pushed each other. And like, I remember that text where you were like, yeah, we're going to get a divorce. And I was like, I don't know what you expected me to say, but I just told you flat out, like, you know, I support marriage, but I, I love you. I support you. I'm here for you. And I don't know if you were like waiting to be told, what are you doing? Don't do that. Da, 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 da. But it was like for the first time, somebody actually just said, hey guys, what's up? You don't want to miss part two. Coach T and I are going to talk about marriage, growth, and weight loss. These are great topics that coaches have to deal with all the time. So if you want to know more on how to support the show, please like, share, and follow. And that's your best way. As always, guys, I appreciate you guys for listening. Take care and God bless.